From the pages of his award-winning short stories, host Troy Smith will take you on a journey across the plains of the Wild West or maybe a thousand light years away on a planet in a far-off solar system. So kick back and let your imagination run wild on this journey. The Tennessee Wordsmith starts now. Hello, I'm Troy Smith, and this is the Tennessee Wordsmith. Uh, I am a local author, uh, born and raised here in the Upper Cumberland, born and raised in White County, uh, graduate of Tennessee Tech, work there now as a professor, also worked for years in Cumberland County. Um, in addition to my day job of being a professor, I have been writing fiction for about, well, I've been writing it for a long time. I've been getting it published for about Gosh, 25 years. It'll be 25 years uh, this November. Anyhow, uh, I write in many different genres, but the one where I've had the most success has been the Western genre. And the story that I'm going to read from today, and this will probably be broken into multiple segments because it's a little longish, is a story that I'm I'm particularly proud of because it's... When it came out in 2017, it won the Spur Award for Best Western Short Story from Western Writers of America, which is um, a wonderful honor. Um, It was the the second time I'd won it, but it had been 17 years since the last one. So uh, I really uh, appreciated being recognized in that way. So without any uh, any further ado or historical background. You'll kind of figure it out as we go along, I think. Here we go with Odell's Bones. Her name was Alona, with a long O, to rhyme with Ramona. She had always said that her name was prophetic. What could there have been about a crying, wrinkled infant born almost 30 years ago in the autumn of 1838 that would make its parents bestow on it such a name an echo of the word alone. For alone she was, and had been, and would be. Even when surrounded by family, whether siblings in childhood or her own husband and children in later life, Alona stood apart, at least on the inside, stood apart, watching the others, watching even herself, as if she were a phantom shade. This is not to say that she had no feelings, far from it, Her emotions were deep and powerful, but an inner part of her instinctively knew that she must remain apart from those feelings, from the sensations of touching and being touched. For her ultimate fate was solitude, and she might as well train her heart to accept it. Never had she been more alone than now. Alona knelt in the coarse dirt of the tiny family cemetery of her farm in South Texas. Four wooden crosses were arrayed before her. Three were new, the smell of pine sap still cloying to them, while the fourth was gray and weathered. It had stood here for over five years, since she had received word about the results of the battle at the Indian Territory battlefield called Honey Springs. It was at Honey Springs that Alona's husband, Odell Roberts, had fallen, slain by a Yankee bullet. The weathered cross marked nothing but a memory. Odell's body, like those of many other Confederates to die in the battle, had not been returned home. 
Odell's remains slept in the soil of Indian territory. The other three crosses belonged to Alona's children, Elizabeth, age 12, Patricia, age 9, and little Ben, age five and a half. Ben had come into the world eight months after his father had ridden away never to return. All three of the children passed away from this world and from the reach of their mother's arms in one foul week during this spring of 1868. A sudden fever. A sudden fever had flared up and swept all of Alona's children away like dead leaves on a swollen creek. Only Alona remained of all her family. Perhaps it was true that Alona was destined for solitude, she thought to herself as she knelt before the graves, her hands still caked with the soil of her digging. But her children, they must not sleep here, their spirits lonely and afraid, with no one to console them. She was not sure if such was the case or not. She had never quite made up her mind about heaven or ghosts, but it felt true to her. If only their father were here with them instead of moldering anonymously hundreds of miles away. She would at least have some peace of mind then. Odell Roberts had not been much of a father, and even less of a husband. He was, in fact, a gambler and a layabout, but at least he was something. And he had been gentle anyhow with his daughters. They had loved the tickle of his beard on their bellies, the sweet treats he brought them from town, on the mornings he did not return flat-busted the money they needed to survive lining the pockets of some smooth card sharp or perhaps some rough woman. All that was beside the point. Alona's mind was resolved on the matter quite suddenly and without the need for much deliberation. She was not sure just how she was going to go about accomplishing her mission or just what obstacles might lie in her path. Those things were irrelevant. All that mattered was the end result. There was only one chance for Alona to rest easy now. Somehow, she would have to bring Odell's bones home. Terry Leonard was what people call, in polite company, an alcoholic. In not-so-polite company, uh, which was usually the kind that included him, uh, he was called a dad-blamed drunk. It was Sunday afternoon. The sun was shining far brighter than it is decent for a sun to shine on Sundays, it seemed to Terry. It was like God, knowing that Terry had not seen the inside of a church in years, still wanted to let the miserable and men know that he was up there watching. The dad blamed drunk had been born Terrence Leonard and had gone by Terry the first few years of his life. Then his parents, noting that he never seemed to be in any particular hurry to get anywhere, nor in any hurry to leave once he did, began to call him Terry, and it stuck. He had been tarrying, in fact, all morning, dozing in the rocking chair outside the saloon, never quite having made it to the stable loft he currently called home. It was not such a bad place to linger, at least not until the sun had passed its zenith and found a way to shine at him. It occurred to Terry that he should probably move, and he figured that eventually he most likely would, until then, he decided to just tip his hat down over his eyes. He gradually became aware that someone was standing beside him. He peeked out from under the hat brim. It was Alona Roberts. Howdy, Mrs. Roberts, he said. He always called her Mrs. Roberts, even though she was his best friend's widow. 
When Odell was alive, it had been no different. He had called the husband Odell, or sometimes just O, and the wife Mrs. Roberts. She seemed more like Odell's mother than his wife anyway, even though she was several years his junior. She just stood there, staring at Terry. The sun peeked over her shoulder right into his face, making his eyes water. He waited a moment. She just stared. "'You been to church?' he finally said. She wasn't wearing her Sunday dress. She was wearing work clothes. That didn't mean she hadn't been to a church, though. Women were peculiar. It really didn't matter to Terry whether she had done any worshiping that day or not. It was just the sort of thing you say to folks when they stare at you on a Sunday. "'I buried my children,' she finally said. Terry paused. "'I, I beg, your, uh, beg your pardon, ma'am. What?' My children, Alona said. I buried them all this morning. The fever took them. He sat up, pushed the hat back on his head. The sudden movement was painful. I'm sorry to hear that, ma'am, he said, and he truly was. He had always been partial to those youngsters. He felt sorry for them because their daddy was dead. Before that, he'd felt sorry for them because their daddy was around. Almost as sorry for them as he would have felt if they'd had him for a daddy. They had been full of life the last time he saw them. It was hard to imagine them lying in the clay. I buried them behind the house under that old cottonwood, she said. And now I'm going to fetch their daddy. Terry nodded sympathetically. Then, realizing what she had said, he stopped in mid-nod. She must have noted the puzzled expression on his face. His bones, she explained. I'm going to fetch his bones. The good Lord may have seen fit to take my family. I didn't have no say in that. But I won't see them scattered all over the country. If they've got to be dead, they can all be dead together in one place. Terry gave in and nodded some more. I can understand that, I reckon, he said. Only problem is, Alona continued, I don't know where they are. Who? Odell's bones. I don't know where he's buried. It's up yonder in the Indian Territory, ma'am. Yes, but I don't know exactly where it is. Terry looked at the sun, a painful exercise. It made angry balls of light bounce around inside his skull, and did some quick calculating. He hesitantly pointed to where north should be. It's that way, Mrs. Roberts. A curious thing happened. Something that was almost, but not quite, a smile touched her lips. It was probably the closest thing to a smile you'd be likely to see on a woman who had just buried her children. Still, it was almost a smile, something he wasn't accustomed to seeing on her, and he realized that it suited her. For a moment he thought he could see a hint of whatever it was that had compelled his best friend to marry this woman who was so different from him. She wasn't a Bible-thumper, though she did go to church. That was something in her favor. Terry always avoided Bible-thumpers, especially when he had a hangover. No, Alona's problem, in his view, had always been that she liked to work too much. She was about work the way Terry was about drunkenness. She just couldn't help but do it. Maybe that's what had brought her and Odell together, the fact they were a perfect complement, one to take care of work, the other to take care of play. Then Alona spoke, still almost smiling, and the moment was past. Terry Leonard, she said. I am not the drunken idiot in this conversation. You are. I know perfectly well that Indian Territory is north of here. I just don't know the exact location of my husband's grave. Oh, Terry said. Well, that's a problem. She stared at him some more. 
He tipped the hat back over his eyes, leaned the chair back against the wall, and tried to sleep. Alona kicked the chair leg, upsetting his balance, and he barely avoided tumbling out into the street. Here now, he said. I was snoozing. You need to wake up and stir around some if you're going to come with me to Indian territory, she said. Indian territory? Yes, we need to get going. But, but ma'am, there's Indians there. I wondered where they keep them, she said. I have heard the Indians there are civilized. One time at the fair, Terry said, I got in a ring with a civilized bear. It fetched me a wallop upside the head and knocked the crap out of me. What's your point? My point is, why should I go wandering around a bunch of Indians, whether they're civilized or not? She bent over and leaned so that her face was only inches from his. Because, Terry, she said, Odell was your best friend. You was like brothers, or so you both claimed. Now, Odell wasn't much account. He left a lot to be desired as a husband and a father, and when you get down to it, I doubt if he was much of a son, either. But he never forgot to feed his dogs, no matter how drunk he was. And he was loyal to his friends. He was loyal to you, Terry Leonard. You never once let each other down that I'm aware of, and I don't see why you should start now. Terry winced. Then he sighed and started to push himself up out of the rocking chair. It was slow going. Alona grabbed his arm and pulled him to his feet. He put his weight on her, but felt her drawing away. He decided he'd better find his balance on his own, just in case Alona was the type of woman who would let him topple over into the street. If Odell was such a sorry husband, Terry said as they made their way down the boardwalk, why are you going to so much trouble to fetch him home? On account of my children, Alona said. I can't bear the thought of them lying in that ground all alone, Terry. I just can't bear it. Terry nodded his understanding. Then he paused in front of a horse trough. There was one horse hitched to it, an old piebald. Stand back, Mrs. Roberts, Terry said. This is liable to get ugly. He grabbed onto the lip of the trough with both hands, took a deep breath, and plunged his head into the water. He swished it around for several seconds and then stood back up, gasping. He shook his head like a dog, sending a spray all around him. The horse looked up from its drinking and gave the human a curious stare. What are you looking at? Terry demanded of the horse. It only nickered, but put its head back into the water. Feel better now, Alona said. He groaned. Uh, no, not really. Where's your horse, she said. Sold him a long time ago. I see. And I reckon you sold your guns, too. Oh, no, ma'am. Somebody stole them off of me while I was snoozing. I got a pocket knife, though. He reached into his pocket to see if it was still there. Yeah, he said, mostly to himself. It's a little rusty, but I reckon I can still poke at things with it. Alona sighed. Well, she said, I have two horses hitched to my wagon. We'll take the wagon home and saddle up the horses, and I reckon we'll be better off on horseback anyway than driving the team where we're going. Of course, you'd know more about that than I do. He stood directly across from her, staring into her face. Why me, ma'am, he said softly. First off, what you're wanting to do is crazy. But it's even crazier to take a drunk like me along. I ain't going to be in much shape to protect you. I lost my daggum guns for Pete's sake. Alona's face was determined and defiant. First off, she said, as of right now, you're an ex-drunk, at least till we're done. Then you can go back to the bottle and drink yourself straight to the grave for all I care. Second, I have guns. Third, 
I don't need your protection. I expect I'll probably be protecting you. Terry winced at that one, the second time she had made him wince in just a few minutes. He never could abide. Honest women, they made him uncomfortable. You're the only one who could help me do this, and you know it, she said. You was with Odell when he died. You buried him yourself. I reckon I could find Honey Springs, but you're the only one who knows where I need to dig once I get there. It's been five years, ma'am. A long five years, and I've been drunk most of it. It'll come back to you once we get out there. I'll make sure of it. Now, come along and quit wasting my time. Terry took a deep breath. Never thought I'd be going back to Honey Springs, he mumbled. He felt an odd sensation, his gorge rising like he was about to puke. He knew it was not from the liquor. It was from the fear that the liquor had been holding back for so long. Terry Leonard needed a drink. The ride back to the Roberts place seemed a lot longer than Terry remembered it being. The sun uh, was still glaring down at Terry and baking his fluttering stomach until he felt like an ant under a magnifying glass. The wagon hit a bump. Terry bounced into the air. His rump came down hard on the wooden seat. The motion nearly made him heave. Take it easy with them rough spots, ma'am, he said. I got a bit of a headache today. You men, she said. You'll drink whiskey all night to prove what a big, tough man you are. Then the next day you're sick and tender as an old woman and expect folks to feel sorry for you. She hit another bump. In fact, from that point on, the ride got rougher and rougher. Terry suspected Alona had started hitting the bumps on purpose. They were over halfway there when the crying began. It started out slow and quiet. Terry would not have noticed it except he heard his companion give out a couple of soft sniffs. He glanced over at her. Alona stared straight ahead, sort of at the road but mostly beyond it, while tears tracked their way down her cheeks. The sun made them glitter. Her eyes, glistening wet, seemed like the only real part of her. Her face and body were like faded lines from an old drawing, which, her eyes wet as they were, seemed to have burned through from some truer world on the other side. Then her face melted and contorted as she bit her lip and choked back a sob. She whimpered softly from the effort of it. The man and woman sat close together by necessity, yet barely touched. Still, Terry could feel the tense racking, the subdued convulsing which ran through Alona's limbs. Each sob was like an animal confined in the woman's chest, trying to claw its way up her throat and out her mouth and into the world, and she bit it and pushed it back down, allowing it only a glimpse of the sunlight. Then it would subside, and there would be only the quiet tears for a while, and then the cycle would begin again. Terry tried not to look at her. Nothing could be ruder than to stare into the face of a woman's grief. It was like hiding in the bushes and watching her bathe, cheeks reddened with embarrassment, yet eyes continually drawn back to the unguarded nakedness, knowing you were seeing all of her and she was unaware or uncaring. Terry felt he should say something. For the life of him, though, he could not think of what words a man could say to a woman who has buried her children. In thirty years, Terry had still not figured out what it meant to be alive himself. What could he know of making life, only to watch it drain away? To push something out of your womb, only to hide it again in the darkness of the earth? 
Are you all right? He finally said. She turned her head and looked at him for the first time since they had left town. Anger blazed on her face, but her eyes were unchanged. Do I look all right? She demanded, her voice cracking. No. She snapped her face away once more, then wrestled with another sob. Sometimes it's best to just let it all out, he said. Sometimes it's best to shut up, Alona replied. Terry nodded. Does that mean you or me, he said. Both of us. Terry nodded again. He spoke no further. He could not help grunting, though, when they hit the bumps. Alona reined in the team in front of the stable and hopped down. Water the horses, she said. They can rest while I get my kit together and we'll saddle them when we're ready to go. She stepped into the stable and came back out with a pair of empty saddlebags slung across her shoulder. Terry looked at the sun, now halfway to the horizon, but still just as hot and bright. We'll just have two or three hours of daylight left by then, he said. Alona grunted. That'll put us two or three hours north of here and two or three hours closer to our destination. You know, you wasted half a day driving into town and rousted me out from my slumber. It had to be done, she said. If this farm was north of town instead of south of it, I would have packed my things and saddled the horses beforehand and just picked you up along the way, but you can't make things easy. Hey, now, Terry said. You can lay blame on me for a lot of things, but not for where they decided to build the town or where you decided to have a farm. Besides, she said, ignoring his protests, I had a feeling I would need a wagon to tote you in for a spell knowing your habits. Starting you right off on horseback might have been ill-advised. She nodded at the horses. We ain't going to get nowhere just standing here talking about it. Step two. Terry heaved a deep sigh and turned his attention to the horses. I swear, he said to them, if I wanted to get talked to like this, I'd have just got married. Alona was halfway to the house, but she heard him. Anybody that would marry you, she called back, would talk to you a whole lot worse, I have no doubt. A few minutes later, after he had put the horses in their stalls, Terry walked to the house. A note had been pinned to the front door. Gone a spell, we'll be back. Take shelter if you need to, it said. That's right, neighborly, Terry thought to himself. He wished he had not been conscripted into the upcoming misadventure and could instead have squatted in the empty house for however long its occupant was gone. It occurred to him, though, that it would have required a ride all the way to town every time his bottle was empty, and that was more trouble than it was worth. He heard Alona rummaging around inside. He started to open the door, but it seemed like a rude gesture, so he knocked instead. All right, if I come in? You don't have to knock when I'm the one brung you here, she called back. Good Lord. He stepped into the house. Alona emerged from one of the back rooms. The bags were still on her shoulder, but were bulging now. She was holding a large burlap flour sack in her hands. You reckon this is big enough? she asked. He was puzzled. Big enough for what? Are we fixing to have a sack race? She rolled her eyes. Big enough for Odell. Terry stared at the sack. I reckon he's most likely fell off some being dead five years and all. I reckon that'd do it. I hope so, she said. Terry looked around the room. His eyes were drawn to the kitchen table. A brace of pistols rested atop it, each in a worn scabbard. A rifle was leaned against one of the chairs, a Henry. He pulled loose one of the revolvers and looked it over. It was an old Walker Colt, which had seen its better days. He figured it must be twenty years old at least. 
It wasn't rusted, anyhow. That was something. The other one was a match for it. You've got quite an arsenal, he said. Alona nodded. Odell took his newer pistols off to war, you'll recall. I recall, Terry said. He and Odell had each bought a pair of navy coats when secesh talk was brewing strong. He left me these, Alona said. They belonged to his daddy. His daddy got killed by Mexicans, Terry said, back in 48. I'm surprised they let him keep his hardware. The other rangers recovered his body at once, Alona explained. And it's a good thing. It would have been plumb irresponsible for my husband to ride off to his glorious war without leaving me something to protect our children from snakes and coyotes. I reckon, Terry said, it would never have crossed his mind, and he doubted if it crossed Odell's either. The walkers had probably just been too much trouble to carry when he had two lighter, spiffier-looking weapons at his disposal. The rifle I traded the last of our pigs for just last month, Alona said. She jerked her chin toward the saddlebags across her shoulder. I've got a box of 44 shells for it, and i got a right smart of powder, caps, and balls for the colts. I figure they can be saddle guns. The rifle stays with me. I have a boot for it out in the stable. Terry nodded. He wished he had not been so easily robbed of his own pistols, but he had to admit to himself that he would have sold them by now if he'd held on to them. It don't seem right just riding off and leaving this place, Terry said. Alona shrugged. We ain't got no livestock anymore. I put in the garden be lucky if it sprouts much at all. Ain't nothing in the house but a few sticks of furniture. It'll be all right till we get back. The neighbors will look in eventually and see the note and then keep an eye on the place now and then. And if the whole thing picks up and blows away, well, that won't be no big loss to anybody. I reckon, Terry said, if you say so. I do say so. Now, come on, let's saddle up and ride. Just those were clear, Terry said. We ain't going to get more than a few miles down the road before we have to make camp for the night. And just so as I'm clear, Alona said, I can tell time. And I don't know how much clearer I can get than this, but I do not intend to spend one more night on this farm until I have planted my husband's bones. Not one more night. Now, come on. She left, and he went with her. They rode in complete silence for about an hour. Bouncing and slightly swaying in the saddle took on its own special rhythm for Terry Leonard, and he half-dozed in the sun. At one point, he nodded over and almost fell out of the saddle, barely catching himself. He hoped his companion did not notice, and if she did, she gave no sign. Terry broke the silence. One thing I ought to tell you, ma'am, he said. I sure could use a drink right now. I'm usually well into my daily cups by this time. Now, right this minute, it's kind of a powerful hankering I have, see, but the more time goes on, the worser it'll be, till I'm plumb out of my head miserable. I just wanted to warn you. She did not turn her head. Terry Leonard, you are so prone to misery already, I doubt very much I'd notice the change. Oh, you'll notice, he said. They rode on. At dusk, they hobbled the horses and Alona started a small fire. She sat beside it and wrapped herself tightly in her blanket. She opened the drawstring of a small sack she had retrieved from her saddlebag. I got a couple of cold biscuits here for you for supper, she said, taking one for herself. It'll have to do us for now. Tomorrow I'll keep my eyes peeled for game while we ride. She held a biscuit out to him. He waved it away. 
The very thought of it made his inside swim around like worms in a bait sack. I'll pass, I reckon, he said. I don't think my belly would behave itself right now. Suit yourself. You'll eat in the morning, though, and drink some coffee, or I'll force it down your gullet. You won't do me any good, light-headed and half-starved. Thank you, ma'am, he said, I think. She scowled at him. No more of that ma'am business, or Mrs. Roberts. We're sharing a long trail. You can call me by my Christian name. Heck far, I've known you for years. It never seemed respectful somehow, Terry said, especially with you. You don't need to worry about being respectful to Odell, if that's what you mean. He's been dead five years, and he wasn't the most respectable man in the county before that. Maybe not, but he was my friend, like you said. Friends respect each other and each other's family. But I see your point, and I'll do the best I can to force it out. He cleared his throat. Alona, he said, drawing out each syllable dramatically. There ain't no need being a smart aleck, Alona said. That's what people keep telling me. That's what I'm telling my belly right now. Alona adjusted her blanket. It might help to take your mind off of it. Tell me again about that battle you and Odell was in. Terry grimaced. He would rather talk about his upset stomach or tell stories about incompetent dentists or just about anything in the world other than what she was asking. I told you what there is to tell when I come home after the war was over, he said. It ain't something I especially like talking about. It ain't something I especially like hearing about, neither, Alona said, but all things considered, with what we're undertaking, I think it's something you need to tell and I need to hear, whether either one of us wants to or not. Terry sighed deeply. He sort of lightly pumped the air with a clenched fist a few times and audibly sucked air in through his teeth. Alona waited. The 29th Texas Cavalry. That was us, but I guess you know that. We was part of the Texas Brigade, which was paired up with the Indian Brigade. General Cooper was in command of the Indian Brigade and of the whole shebang that day. And this was those civilized Indians we was talking about earlier, Alona said, inviting his confirmation. Terry nodded. Yeah, th th there was Indians on both sides. In fact, at Honey Springs, white men was in the minority in the Union and Confederate order of battle both. There was regiments from all five tribes. Plus, the Yankees had colored troops from Kansas, and a good number of them was colored Indians, mostly Creeks and Seminoles. Why were they on both sides? Same as all the rest of us, I reckon. Did they have uniforms? Terry shrugged. Again, same as the rest of us. Some was better outfitted than others, but you could usually tell the Indians on both sides. Most of them had long hair and a bunch more feathers on their hats. I mean, you know, cavalrymen wear feathers on their hats in a normal army, I reckon, but this was different. It just looked more like Indians. Did they speak English? Some of them did, most of their officers. A lot of them was half white, and a lot of them could have passed as white men, but most was just flat-out Indian. Terry shuddered, and Alona noticed. It was not a thirsty drunkard's shudder, but something far deeper. What is it, she asked, with a softer tone than she had been using most of the day. Terry stared into the fire. Its shadows flickered on his face and sort of sparkled on welled-up tears that the man slowly blinked back. I had never seen nothing like it, he finally said. Like what? Me and Odell and some others in our company was on a patrol one time, not long before Honey Springs. A joint patrol with a Cherokee outfit. Well, them Cherokees captured a couple of scouts. Yankee Cherokees, they was. 
The prisoners and the Reb Cherokees was chattering away at each other in Indian, could none of us understand a word, but we understood what we'd seen. They tied them prisoners down and took out their bowie knives, and, well, they took their own sweet time with what they were doing. They're going to give away our position. They keep hollering like that, Odell said to our sergeant. Sergeant, he just smiled. They want to give away our position, he said. They want them prisoners' buddies to hear and to know what they're doing to them, and they're daring them to come out. Well, that's plain ignorant, Odell said. Why do we want to bring them down on us like that? We don't even know how many there is. These old boys don't care, the sergeant said. Listen, Reb Cherokees and Yank Cherokees hates each other like nothing you ain't ever seen. Same with the other tribes. They all got divided during the time of the Trail of Tears between them that was willing to surrender the land without a fight and them that wanted to keep trying to hang on to it. They was fighting and killing here for 25 years before we pulled them into our little war between the states. Seemed like it took forever for them two Yank scouts to die. I ain't ashamed to admit it. I throwed up two or three times, and I ain't the only one. If the Yankee Indians catch any on our side, the sergeant went on, it's not as likely to go the same way. I ain't for sure if they do the same thing to white men they took prisoner. But if they get worked up, there ain't no telling, so I wouldn't go getting caught, was I you? Terry was silent for a long while after that. Malona waited patiently. Finally, he spoke again. Anyways, where was I? Oh, yeah. Honey Springs. Honey Springs had a stage depot, see? Used to be a stop along the Texas Road before the war. It made for a good stagecoach station because there were several springs all around it for watering your horses. We was camped right near the depot at Elk Creek. The Yankees hit us at dawn, just skirmishes here and yonder along the line at first, you see, while both sides got their artillery situated and their men in place. Once they did, all hell broke loose. It was mostly on us. We was using cheap powder we got from Mexico, and the morning dew was enough to dampen it and make our weapons misfire, half of them, at least from what I seen. Terry shook his head. It was awful, plum awful. They swarmed over us. And them Union Blue Indians, they was like something out of a scary story. There's this one in particular, he was with the Kansas Colored Troops, but I could tell he's one of them big... I'm sorry, let me start again. There was this one in particular, he was with the Kansas Colored Troops, but I could tell he's one of them black Seminoles. He had a big crow feather in his hat, and he was huge. He was swinging this steel tomahawk back and forth, blood pluming from it with each swing like the wake of a steamboat. I don't even know how many of our boys he plowed through. He was coming straight at me, too. I was fixing to root hog or die, and wasn't willing to lay odds on the root hog part, when Odell stepped in between that Seminole and me. Watch out, Terry, he hollered. And then was his last words, because that steel tomahawk fetched him on the side of the head, and he went down like a sack of taters. It was Alona's eyes that reflected the fire now. Her face remained impassive, but her eyes were wet with tears that slowly rolled down her cheeks. Well, Terry said, I just went crazy is all. Odell was my best friend ever since we was young'uns. I wasn't even sure if he was dead, though it sure didn't look good. But I didn't want them Yankee Indians to get a hold of him and finish him off or maybe do worse. The big Seminole just kept going. He'd veered away from me and headed toward some Reb Indians he caught sight of. But his partners kept a coming. I waded into them, trying to protect Odell, slashing and slashing with my bayonet. Then somebody fetched me a hard lick upside my own head with a rifle stock. And the whole world just lit up in fire and swum around me. I felt myself falling like I was falling in a dream. 
and the ground flew up and hit me in the face. I figured it was all over for me for sure, and there wasn't a blessed thing I could do about it. Last thing I remember is turning my head there on the ground, moccasin feet all around me, and looking into Odell's open eyes. We was right side by side. There was nothing in them eyes, Alona, not nothing, and I knowed he was gone. Terry put his head in his hands and rocked back and forth for a moment. You don't have to say no more, Alona said. I knew this was going to be hard for both of us, but... I'm almost done, he interrupted her, lowering his hands. I might as well go on and get out the last little bit. Okay, she said. When I woke up, it must have been hours later. The battle was over. Even I'm smart enough to have figured out who won. Our side had retreated and left the dead and wounded on the field. It was so quiet. I was surprised how quiet it was. I figured there'd be wounded men moaning. At first I thought maybe it had been so long since the battle ended that the wounded men had all died, but pretty soon I figured it out. I heard a funny noise from a good ways off, like somebody cutting sackcloth. I raised my head up for a peek. There was a Yankee Indian down the line, bent over a fallen man in gray. He stood up and he was holding a long-haired scalp. He moved on down to the next corpse. Well, I looked around some more, and I seen that I'd fell not far from some brush, and that past that brush was the creek. While that Indian was facing away from me and was occupied with what he was doing, and before any more showed up, I figured I'd better crawl into that brush. And I didn't want nobody carving on my best friend's body, so I pulled him with me. And we laid there, just out of sight, until dark. Then I stood up and slung Odell across my shoulders, and we made our way down that creek in the moonlight till we was a fair ways from the battlefield. My head hurt like the devil. I finally sat down at the edge of Elk Creek, my back against the trunk of a big cottonwood tree. I rested a little while till I got my strength up enough to do what needed done. I took the entrenching shovel from my pack and dug a grave there under that tree. I worked at it for hours all through the night and got it pretty deep. I put my friend in there and said the closest thing to a prayer that I knowed how to say, and then I covered him up. Terry sighed again. Come the dawn, and me too tired to hardly move after all of that, and the Yankees just walked up on me. Howdy, boys, I said to him. Getting kilt is thirsty work. I don't reckon anybody has any brandy on them, do they? It was white Yankees from Colorado. Listening to them talk later seemed like most of them had even harsher opinions about Indians than I did, and nobody offered to scalp me. The sergeant command of the squad even gave me a taste from his whiskey flask. Any man that'll spend all night burying his partner and him wounded deserves to share a drink with me any time, he said. And that was the end of my war. They shipped me up north to a prison camp, Rock Island, Illinois. Lots of captured Rebs in there with me went on night and day about what a hellhole it was, but not me. I thank the good Lord I was there and not scalped or cut in pieces. Still, I've seen a lot of mean things and a lot of rough times in that place. But the war ended, and I made my way home to Texas, and I started drinking, and I'd be drinking right now if I could. I'm very grateful to you, Terry. Terry, excuse me, let me say that again. I'm very grateful to you, Terry, Alona said. I'm grateful for what you'd done that day for my husband. 
I don't know if he's in a place to know what all happened after his life ended or what a true friend he had, but I know those things. And I'm grateful for you telling me all these details, even though I know it was hard. I always reckon that you deserve to hear more than just your husband got killed and I buried him, Terry said. Now, she said, you and me are going to find him and take him home and rebury him. Terry nodded at her. You buried him under cottonwood, and I buried our children under cottonwood. She shook her head at the coincidence. Then, Alona rolled over in her blanket. You better get some rest now, she said. We've got a lot of riding to do tomorrow and every day after that for a spell. And remember what I said. You're eating breakfast in the morning, whether your belly wants you to or not. Yes, ma'am, he said. Alona. But Terry did not lie down or roll over, not for a long time. He stared into the fire some more, and in the glowing coals he imagined he saw the faces of people he had known. It was funny, he thought, the way red coals seem alive. There's something burning deep within them, giving off heat, making them shift in place. That is, until they gradually begin to fade, then sputter, and finally grow dark. After a few hours, they weren't even warm anymore. They were cold as stone, and a single touch would make them crumble to powder. Then they would blow away like they had never existed. Where did they go? Where did the fire go? Then he turned from the coals and watched the gentle breathing of the woman in the blanket. Sometimes she would jerk fitfully or groan, but after a moment she would return to the peaceful rising and falling of her side. For the first time in the longest while he could remember, Terry Leonard was glad he was not drunk. Glad he was not drunk, and even that he had no liquor and couldn't get drunk. Terry's tongue wandered when he was drunk, and he had no control over what he said. He might tell Alona that... In his heart of hearts, he had always envied his best friend, Odell. Terry was not much, as men go, but Odell was not much either. What is it that brings some men good fortune and simultaneously blinds them to it? Most of all, though, Terry was glad he did not have the means to get drunk because, if he did, he might just keep talking about Honey Springs. And if he talked about Honey Springs long enough... She might just figure out that much of what he had told her tonight was a lie. You've been listening to the Tennessee Wordsmith. Download your favorites and keep up with new episodes in the Hints and Oakley Podcast Center.